Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. It is great to be together. We are in week two of our cultural values series. Last week, we looked at God first uh, and got used to the new format as well, where we have to engage both our mouths and our brains in the second half so looking forward to that again later as we go into breakout rooms today we are looking at our second key cultural value which is that of family and so let's dive straight in and read the little bit that we've um, made for it which says by faith in Jesus we are adopted into the family of God you can amen along at home if you like at hope we love As he loves us, we see the best in one another and truly value our differences, relentlessly loving one another through the ups and downs of life. Wherever you're at, you're welcome in the family. And um, let's see back in the middle a bit more. We're going to just dive in over the first 15 minutes now into this value of family. And then we're going to go into breakout rooms and we're going to do the same three questions as last week, looking at how this works out in our lives. But I want to start with a quick theory. Would you like to hear a theory I have? Yes, wonderful. You can't hear. Every week I do this and you still can't hear, but I just assume you say yes. And my theory is this, you see, a couple of weeks ago when we did the introduction to this series, I asked everyone to type into the chat box what they thought the different values would be. And this value of family was perhaps very predictably the most popular suggestion. Remember that? I can see you, remember. Nods are really helpful at this point when I go for interaction. And uh, and it's the thing that people so frequently say to us is whether they're a guest or they're a newcomer at Hope Church, they say it just feels like family. And my theory is this, they're not really describing family. They're actually describing grace. You see, when you encounter something for the first time that doesn't require you to earn acceptance, that's grace. When you walk into somewhere that's full of um, relaxed joy in God, you're encountering grace. And those things feel like family because grace creates family and grace infuses all of these five cultural values that we're going to see. But what sets grace and family apart is that where people encounter grace for the first time and it feels like family, family is the ongoing, relentless decision to love and to be warm and to accept one another and to live in joy and to champion one another. You can encounter it for the first time and that's great, but if you want to be family, it requires it to be ongoing. And so we're going to dive into family uh, this morning. And I want to say, first of all, that when I say family, and when we say family, we're not talking about your personal experience of family. Because if we're honest, and as I look, I've got 49 screens staring back at me right now with multiple people on, we have such different experiences of family, don't we? Growing up, one of my best friends, his mum was one of 13 daughters. And so when I'd go to his house, there was barely a time I'd go hang out with him or play with him and we weren't sent on an errand down to auntie such and such's house. 
You know, he had aunties everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere in town, play football to the park, you go shopping, you would bump into one of his aunties or some cousins or something because they all lived in the same place we lived. His experience of family was so different to mine. I mean, my parents were both one of four. So I had loads of aunties and uncles, but the closest ones to us were an hour away. Our experience of family was vastly different. I was gobsmacked recently, just left silent for a little bit by Rachel as we were recording an episode of the God's Glorious Grace podcast, because she was saying, you know, she grew up as an only child and has no frame of reference for what it means to treat one another as brothers and sisters. And she was talking about how good her family experience was, and she never really wanted a brother or sister. The church being her brothers and sisters isn't very attractive. She liked not having them. And I was like, oh, wow. And I've just always assumed that this would be something everyone wanted and everyone knows what they're talking about. But friends, it's just not the case. However good your experience of family has been, or however bad your experience of family has been, that is not the reference point we're using when we're talking about hope as being family. So what are we talking about? Uh, and if all we've got all these different experiences and understanding, why would we choose to use this word? Well, two reasons, really. The first is that it is a massive part of the prophetic thrust uh, and foundation of this church. I remember being in a prayer meeting uh, with various other leaders praying for John and Kate as they were first coming to plant this church. And a recognised prophet uh, in our family of churches just got on one and was going about how family would in, infuse and be a part of all that this church that John and Kate were coming to plant would be. And he really got going and was very enthusiastic. He started prophesying, it's going to be called Harrogate Family Church. And you just felt the awkwardness descend in the room because everyone knew that was not what the church was going to be called. And uh, a classic example of a, a prophet seeing in part, what they saw was the family dynamic, which undoubtedly God has done amongst us, <laughs> but they didn't have the whole picture. Uh, you'll have heard us quote many times the uh, verse from Psalm 68 about God putting the lonely in families. That was a key prophetic encouragement to us in the early days that shaped a lot of what we do. It, family is a massive part of what God has spoken into this church. Uh, but more than that, it is the heartbeat of scripture. The Bible is the story of family. The Old Testament, come with me. Adam and Eve are the mother and father of the whole of humanity. You get to Abraham and he's asked to leave his family by God to go and start a new family. His descendants in which would be more numerous than the stars in the sky and would be a blessing to every nation on the world, in the world. It's a story of family. You know, the Israelites traced their lineage and their heritage, their very identity back to one of Abraham's 12 great grandsons, the 12 tribes of Israel. In the Old Testament, the people of God are family, a family that becomes a nation. It's so important to them. But then you get to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He blows it out of the water. You see, there's this one day he's teaching and the crowd are sort of wondering about him, thinking maybe he's gone a bit crazy. Uh, and his mother and his brothers turn up at the door. You might know this story. And they send word and they call for him. And news gets into Jesus. Someone taps him on the shoulder. Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you. That They want you. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And everyone goes, maybe he is losing it. 
And the Bible says he points at his disciples and he says, these are my mother and my brothers. And they go, he really is losing it. Points at 12 men and says, this is my mother and my brothers. And then he says, I tell you, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. He's speaking to a people who are completely identifying their faith and the whole of life around biological family. And he says, it's not about that at all. In fact, in Jesus, the blood that unites us is more life-giving, more powerful, uh, more significant than the blood that flows in our veins. You know, if you could choose to wake up with just one of those bloods tomorrow, you would be a fool to pick your own because the blood of Jesus is the life-giving, powerful and significant one. It's the one that unites us. So that you have more in common with a believer on the other side of the world than you do your own flesh and blood. That's the truth of what it means to be part of the family of God. And you get into the New Testament after Jesus has rocked their world with this kind of announcement. And what you find is that family language infuses everything. I've got some examples for you. We'll go big. Here you go. Every writer in the New Testament uses family language. Peter, 1 Peter 2, 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. John, in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love has been lavished on us that we should be called children of God. For that is what we are, he says next. The writer to the Hebrews says one of the most amazing things you've ever heard, which is the one who makes holy and those who are made holy are of the same family Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. Amazing. Paul uses this language a lot too, obviously. He says the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, assuring us that we belong to God, that we've been joined into his family. Luke uses this perhaps more than anybody else in the New Testament, this language. This is the first time the church is addressed in the book of Acts. Peter stands up among the believers and says, brothers and sisters, from the very first moment that the church exists, um, they're talking about it as family, as brothers and sisters. This is the main event. But today we want to zoom in on one passage because that's helpful and because I'm supposed to talk about one thing that was all background this is the most important thing are you ready we'll go back to the slide we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 if you've got your bible you might want to open it up it's on the screen if you've got your printed out sheet you might want to write it on well done to those of you who have prepared you can prepare afterwards as well if you'd like to get yourself a copy Ella did a very good job designing them. And this is what 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says. <clears throat> Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Paul's encouraging Timothy who he calls his son in the faith. And he's saying, treat everyone, whether they're older, younger, male or female, as if they were family. This is Paul talking to Timothy, a man. Let's flip it around a second. It might be helpful for 
about 50% of the people listening, do not rebuke an older woman harshly, but exhort her as if she were your mother. Treat younger women as sisters, older men as fathers, and younger men as brothers with absolute purity. Family is to uh, define the way we relate together. Now, I've heard that passage preached on just a couple of times in my life, and both times it's been about sex. Uh, and they've said, absolute purity, therefore don't lust after each other. That might be your experience too, in terms of how you've heard that verse uh, used. But let's be honest, that's not what it says. It just says, treat them with absolute purity. And there are many, many, many kinds of impurity that can infect and pollute and poison relationships, especially in the church. Many of us will have seen it. Some of us will have experienced it ourselves. All kinds of things that can get in the way as we interact together in the family of God. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things like envy. It's a horrible poison. I'm talking about things like competition which can totally shatter relationships, bitterness, superiority, suspicion, abuse. There are tons of things that can infect and distort relationships in any group of people, especially family. Some of you will recognize those descriptions from your own earthly families or perhaps even sadly churches you've been a part of. There are all kinds of impurity that can get in the way. But Paul says, do it with absolute purity. Treat people as family with absolute purity. Protect those relationships. Why? Why is it so important to protect those relationships? Well, the thing about family is you don't get to pick them. And however much you might like to, you don't get to change them. You can't trade in your sister for another type of sister. If you're not getting on with your family, you can't just move house and adopt a new family. Your family is your family. If it's not working out for you, you can't quit and get a new one. It's just the what it is. And so therefore, you've got to protect and nurture and cherish those relationships. There's no second chance. The New Testament uses another picture a lot as well for how the church functions together. It uses the uh, picture of a body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 as well. And Paul, he writes about eyes and hands and feet and how about you need all of them. And if you only had a body that was made up of eyes, it would be useless. It couldn't move, couldn't touch stuff. Imagine your eye having to touch everything rather than your hand. It'd be horrible. Paul says, no, you, you need all types of different people. And if, and if one part of you suffers, all of you suffer. And if one part is honoured, everyone celebrates there's an interconnectedness there's a dependency on one another that is intrinsic to who we are and friends this is where we get into trouble in the 21st century and when we live with this mid-20th century ideal of the nuclear family where you have a, a, a husband and a wife and 2.4 kids and that couldn't be further from the mind of the new testament when we're talking about family, it's not just that sleep under the same roof as you, the people who rest in your vicinity after a hard day at work. When the New Testament's talking about family, it's these extended, multi-generational households of people, maybe even including servants, 
And it's not just the place you rest and you go out to work somewhere else. No, you work together and you produce together and you create together. There's an utter dependency and partnership on one another, with one another. There's a diversity which is essential in the mix. Really, what we need to understand from family and the way we uh, conduct ourselves in it is that it's a relentless love across difference. And if you're writing notes, those are four good words to write down. Relentless love across difference. You see, if grace welcomes people as if they are family, not making them earn their acceptance, then the value of family amongst us means that we go on treating people this way, right? Not making them earn their acceptance, not making them justify themselves, not having to justify ourselves to them, not valuing people firstly on usefulness or performance, but on who God has made them to be. The value of family means living with a wholehearted love for them to help them grow into all that God has made them to be, because if one part is honoured, we all celebrate. Paul puts it like this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 and 10. He says, now, about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Imagine that being said about you. God's taught you to love one another. It's incredible. I don't need to tell you anything. He goes on, though, because that's what Paul does. He says, in fact, you do love all of God's family. Same word again throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, did you notice, to do so more and more. I've got nothing to tell you about loving one another. You already do it, but do it more and more. It's not just about acceptance. It's about this ongoing, relentless love for one another that champions each other into all that God has made them to be, because that is how the whole family thrives. Friends, this is not just some pep talk or some value that is really a nice way of saying, be nice to each other. <laughs> That's not what this is about at all. Church being family over organisation affects everything. It alters the way we see the entirety of the Christian life. Church is not a gym that you go to. Sometimes I've heard people talk about others. Yeah, they go to my church. And it, it makes something in my skin crawl like it's, it's just words that should never be said. It's not a gym that you go to. Oh, yeah, they lead worship at my church. Ooh, it's, it's not a, an organisation you have a position in. No, it's a family that you're a part of. Brothers and sisters. It's a family in which we proactively lift one another up. We care for people when they're struggling proactively looking out for them we share our plenty with others who lack and yes that's things like money and food and it may well just be that times are coming where that will be even more important in church life than it has been for the last few decades but it's about other things too some of us have an abundance of relational capacity and other people find that stuff really hard we're to share that with one another, not just use it for our own ends, to use some of our relational capacity for the good of others. Some of us have conversation and relationship coming out of our ears because our houses are full of parents and children and others live on their own and would 
literally cut off their right arm for that kind of dynamic of an evening. And it's a bit of an odd time to be exhorting one another to make sure that our homes are open to one another, because you can't at the moment, but in a few months you'll be able to. In a few months we'll be able to, and we need to shatter this cultural idol of the nuclear family, which is, we have one set of life which is out beyond our front door, and then there's our space in here, and it's just for us. No. The blood that unites us is far thicker than the blood that unites us in our family. And if you've got relationships in your household coming out of your ears, it may just be that actually you need to share that with people that would long for that kind of connection. Our houses need to be open to one another. Our dining room tables need to have spare seats at them for one another. And it may just be that actually, if you're getting invited as perhaps a, a widowed or a singled person into a family, they're not doing it for you, they're doing it for themselves because they will be blessed by having you with them. This isn't a, hey guys, look out for the lonely single people talk. This is a no, we need what each other have. We're not called to just thrive in our little unit that share a roof, but we need to relentlessly love across difference, including surname. I could keep going on this one, but I've already used up my time. We're going to go into breakout rooms in a minute, and we are going to consider these three questions. In fact, we're going to do something before that. Where are we? Here. We're going to read the passage again together. Someone is going to take responsibility in the room because there are no leaders. They're random, the breakout rooms. Read those two verses again, 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 and 2, and just leave it quiet for a moment, one or two minutes, and listen to what the Holy Spirit might drop in your heart in that time. We truly believe in a God who leads us, who teaches us, uh, who disciplines us, and we want to hear what he's got to say. So leave that time, let the spirit work in your heart, drop things into your mind. And then there's three questions to prompt some discussion. First question is, how have you seen today's cultural value at work in Hope Church? And this is not uh, a, a moment to spend five minutes discussing what you think of my theory of grace and family. If you want to discuss it, discuss it later. You know, message me. I'll talk to you about it. You think I'm wrong? Great. Whatever. Who cares? It's not the moment for that. It's not the moment for talking about what I've said. It's a moment for talking about times you've seen this value at work in Hope Church. Short, simple and specific. Here's how I'd answer it if I was in your breakout room. I would say there are at least two moments in the life of this church where people have come to me once as a brother and once as if I were a father and they've gently corrected me where I was wrong. And it was kind of painful, but kind of amazing at the same time. Never anywhere else have I experienced moments like that. But it happened to me and they went, I'm not sure you've quite got this right, Adam. Let me just help you. And it was revolutionary for me. As a family, we have also been the recipients of an incredible amount of generosity. Generosity that goes far beyond what families would normally do for one another in this church family. And it's totally blessed our socks off. Secondly, second question, how can you personally grow in this value as part of Hope Church and your everyday life? This is the bigger picture of what it means to grow in this value for you. For me, I would probably answer this question something along the lines of, well, because I have a, a staff role in this church, there is always a danger that my communication with other people becomes transactional. 
if Adam Price appears on your phone, you know, I want something or need something or want you to do something or, you know. And I, I would want to address that balance to make it more relational and less transactional. Because it's not right that it should feel like that for me or for you. I wonder how would you like to grow in that value as part of your everyday life? Question three then bottoms that out. It stops you having some wishful thinking and makes us go, this is what I'm going to do about it. And so this is what I'm going to do about it this week. If I was in your breakout room, I would say this week, every day, I'm going to call someone for no reason other than to see how they are and encourage them. And that's what I'm going to do this week. You might even get a phone call from me. I won't need anything from you. I just wonder how you are. And I want to encourage you in God to be all that he's made you to be. Because I need to address that balance in my life. There you go. Those are my three answers to those questions. You might find you've got a little bit of time left, in which case we strongly encourage you to pray for one another. We have 15 minutes in our rooms. There'll be a, a two minute warning. So when the timer hits zero, that means you've got two minutes left. Um, and we'll try and remember to send out a reminder uh, five minutes before the end to make sure you're on question three, because we don't want this just to be lofty conversation. We actually do want it to change our lives so that we grow into these values more and more. Let me pray for us and, uh, and then we'll go into breakout rooms. So Dan, you can get them lined up. Let me pray for us and then we'll go. Father, we're so thankful that we get to call you Father. How amazing is it that you've brought us into your family? See what great love he's lavished on us that we would be called children of God, for that is what we are. Lord, thank you. That's what your spirit does in our lives. It tells us that we are your kids. But he also tells us that we're brothers and sisters with one another. And God, we pray that you would forge this into us more and more, that you would help us to love one another. You would help us to go the distance in proactively um, encouraging and supporting one another. Lord, we pray that after today, we would grow as a church community in this value of family, that those who are struggling would feel supported. Those who are flying would have a channel to um, express their love for others through. We pray that you would build this church into a community where the love causes the world around to wonder what on earth has brought them together in this way, because we want the world to see your love on show. Amen.